loved. Matt has been intimately involved with campus ministries here at Ball State for a number of years, both through crew and then more recently through the impact movement. So um, please give Matt a warm City Hope welcome. Good morning. All right, it's working right away. Yes, thank you for that uh, warm welcome. Man, Pastor Josh had to force people to clap last week, you know, and I don't know how I felt about that. Um, yeah, not only, uh, as Paul was saying, all the things that are different, you now you have to hear me speak as well. And it is an ironic thing that I'm up front uh, speaking, and I've done it before here, so some of you may have heard me. Uh, I'm not one that really loves to come in front of people and uh, or be around people sometimes even. Uh, I, I get really anxious about it, um, doing public speaking. You know, I'm worried, is, is my zipper going to be down? Or, you know, am I wearing the right clothes? I have chocolate on my face still. A um, little bit anxious about those things. Um, uh, my son Josiah had his first public speaking this last week, and it was kind of kind of fun to, to watch him. He was doing something uh, Thomas Jefferson, so I told him he should just quote, you know, a line from Hamilton and act out a scene, but he didn't want to do that. And I told him to say there's a treasure map on the Declaration of Independence, but he wouldn't do that. He did come up with this nice southern accent that he was practicing with, but then he forgot when he presented. But um, it was fun watching him do that. But, you know, it's been said that, uh, that public speaking is the number one fear that people have. And number two is death. And so if you're on a funeral, it's worse to be the person giving the eulogy than the person in the casket. Um, yes, okay. <laughs> um, and I think the reason is that for that is, you know, we fear being embarrassed, right? We fear that shame. What if I, I tell a joke and it bombs completely and, and no one laughs? What if I say something that offends somebody what if I, I just, I, I'm incorrect with what I'm, I'm talking about and people call me out on it and I just, I don't want to be embarrassed. I'd rather die than feel shame. I imagine that many of you probably can relate to that, understand those feelings, avoid embarrassment at any cost. Uh, some of you may have stories that have you know, this embarrassing moment and some of you like me are like, man, my whole life is one embarrassing moment, one after another. And I think, um, you know, at, at the root of this is we fear, we tend to fear what people think of us. We fear rejection. We feel unloved or unlovable or unknown. And deep within us, we long for a deep relationship, someone who will know us and accept us and love us. We want these deep relationships. I remember, uh, you know, we're in college time and campus ministry, and I remember my, my first friends I made my freshman year a long time ago, 1994, the fall of 1994, came into college at Purdue University looking for, you know, hoping to make some friends. And I remember the first friends I made, they were hilarious and fun and um, had a lot, of, you know, a lot of interesting quirks. Their names were... Ross and Rachel, Joey and Chandler and Phoebe, uh, and, uh, you know, from the TV show Friends. Oh, there's supposed to be a slide for that, but it didn't show up. All right. So they were, they were brand new, 
And I remember, you know, watching that show in my room and, and starting to connect with this. Now, it's interesting, there's a Friends thing here. I, I remember going to church and, and, and everyone's talking against Friends. And there's probably some things that were probably right that are probably not really healthy, everything about the show. But, I, you know, I generally liked it because it made me laugh. And I realized even later that it made me, I felt connected to these people. But I began actually to stop watching when I realized I felt closer to these friends on a screen than I felt to the people around me in my, real, in my own life. And I knew this was something wrong. We all long for these deep, meaningful relationships, but we settle for shallow, insignificant relationships. We long for something more. Tonight, today, I want to walk through God's word with us um, through, the, uh, through Genesis to kind of see um, why we long for this, what's broken in that, and how we can see restoration in our relationship. So let me pray for us before we jump into the word and uh, ask God to speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for this. Um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this community of fellowship that we have here today. Um, in this room, but also with those who are not here as well. We thank you that you've given us uh, this church to be in community with. We thank you for the people you've given us to relate to. And we thank you that we can connect with you. We ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you'd pierce our hearts, you would reveal uh, the things in our hearts and reveal more of who you are, that we may grow in our delight in you, our love for you, and our love for others, and that you be glorified in us and through us. Open your word to us through your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ. I pray. Amen. Well, I think to understand um, our longing for relationship and what's broken, we need to go all the way to the beginning of the Bible. So if you here to turn to Genesis chapter 1, uh, there's a lot of things I could touch on here, but I'm going to look through a couple, couple things, and I won't be able to touch, say, everything I want to share. But Genesis chapter 1 begins, I don't know if you can do that, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was, uh, was without form and void, right? And he goes through the creation, and he creates, he creates uh, light, he creates the earth, he creates uh, the plants, creates the animals, and after every, everything he created, at the end of each day, he says what? It was good, right? It is good, it is good, it is good. And then it comes, and the day six after animals, he says, then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the, every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, and I'm not going to go, this isn't the main crux of my, of my message here, but I, I think we need to touch on this. Um, when he creates everything, um, did I say this here? Okay, I may, may have missed a verse I wanted to say here. He creates everything, at the end he says it's good. After he creates humanity, he says it is very good. It is very good. And I, I missed that, that's in verse 31. Um, and, and so he looks at us, and he looks at his creation. He looks at us as his creation, as his people. 
and says, this is very good. And we're very good because we are created in the image of God. Uh, and this makes us something unique about humanity. We're different than all the other creatures, than the plants, the stars in the sky. We alone are created in the image of God. To be in the image of God means we reflect God and relate to God. We are like God, and we can, we can be in a relationship with him. With him. Back in the, in the 80s, uh, I remember coming downstairs, and, and my sister was watching a show, I think it was St. Elsewhere, and in this, a character dies and goes to heaven, and he, he meets God, and it's just the same actor. I think it was a young Howie Mandel. Meets the same, same person playing God. And he's like, oh, you know, you know it looked like he looks like me. But that's not, that's not reality. God doesn't look like us. We look like him. We look like him. We, we are made to reflect him. Not in our physical features, but in who he is, his character. And because of that, we hold a value. We, we are unique above creation. We are able to communicate with them. We are given dominion. We're able to, to uh, have relationship with others, to be fruitful and multiply. And these are things that God has. God also is the most beautiful thing of all. All the creation is just, you know, cannot be as beautiful as he is. But none of the rest of the creation is made in the image of him. So that means the most beautiful thing that he's created, the thing that looks most like him, is not the, the sun or the stars in the sky, but it's us. We are, we are the reflection of his beauty. So each of us as human have value. Male and female, black and white, brown, we are all precious in his sight. We are all valuable. We're all good. Very good. But then the Bible will introduce something that is not good. You know what it is? What's the first thing that God says is not good? Someone says it. I asked my kids this question, and they say, sin, uh, sin, that's uh, Satan, the, the, the snake, the demon, Oh, the fruit, the fruit, that was the bad thing. No, that is not, that is not the first thing that God says is, um, is a bad thing. So let's look at the parallel passage in Genesis chapter 2 of creation, in Genesis 2, and I'm going to read a little bit more that's on the screen. Um, turn here real quick. And so Genesis two fifteen to give some context. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in this day you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay, so that's there on the screen. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever, he, whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there is not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with, his, with flesh. In the, rib that, in the rib that the Lord God had taken for the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. All right. So the first thing that was not good that God saw, it was not good for man to be alone. So he makes a helper, an, an easer. He creates woman. Now, this passage could be used to talk about marriage. Um, people have used this to talk about marriage. Um, and Josh talked a little about marriage last week, so he covered the difficult part. So I'm not going to touch on that, fortunately. I'm not going to get into all that. Um, I don't believe this passage is saying to us, to be complete, we need to be married. Uh, after all, Jesus, our Savior, the perfect man, the, he lived on earth, fully human, never married. He experienced humanity in his fullness to the, to the ultimate level, was never married. Paul would say in Corinthians, it's good for some of you to not be married. If you can, do not get married. So I don't think that this passage is saying to be complete, to be whole as, as a human, we need to get married. But I do think it is, it is communicating something very important to us. We are not meant to be alone. It is not good for us to be Alone. Notice when God says this. When, is, when does this happen in the Bible? It happens in Genesis 2, which is before Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, right? Genesis 3 is when people would sin. Genesis 3 when the world is when the world falls apart, when everything gets broken. And for most, most of us, our theology is based on everything is broken. Uh, because of sin, and that's when things fall apart. So everything was good up until the point that sin entered the world. But here, in Genesis 2, God says something is not good. What that means is, even in a perfect state, before sin entered the world, we were designed to need others. It is not because we are broken, we need someone to pick up the pieces for us. It's not because something is wrong with me, I need someone to make up for my shortcomings. No. This is the way God designed me. This is the way God designed us. We need each other. There is um, an African proverb called Ubuntu. Um, and I'm going to read I'm going to try to feel like this fits in here. But in the book, No Future Without Forgiveness, Desmond Tutu describes a person with Ubuntu as open and available to others, affirming of others, has a proper self-assurance. The Ubuntu this person possesses comes from being part of a greater whole. I am because we are. I am because we are. We were created for community. We were designed to need one another. We are, hard, we are hardwired for relationships. We need others. Needing others isn't a sign of a flaw or a result of sin, but how God made us. It's how God made us. We're created for community, designed to need one another, hardwired for relationship. It's not a sign of a flaw or a result of sin, but it's how God has made us. Um. This was revolutionary for me when I saw it as I was leading a Bible study of men and we're looking at a passage together and it just dawned on all of a sudden. I was like, big white bulb moment. 
See, all our lives, we have been taught, and I imagine many of you have been taught, that we need to make it on our own. We need to make it on our own. We need to come to the place with self-sustainability. We need to become an adult. We need to arrive. And when we get there, we will do it on our own. We won't need anyone. We can do this. Needing others is a sign of weakness. Weakness is a sign of something being wrong, broken, faulty. If I was strong enough, if I was good enough, I would not need it any, anyone else. I could do it on my own. For those of us in the Protestant background, this, in, in Western culture, this takes on even more, I think, has been heightened here. Begin to elevate our personal quiet time, elevate the, the personal relationship with God. And we sing songs like, Jesus, you're all, you know, you're uh, all I need is Jesus. You are enough for me. Now, to be sure, personal decisions, individual decisions for Jesus to follow him is necessary. We must make that decision. Individual reading of scripture and personal prayer times will be vital for the growth in your relationship with God. And God himself is sufficient. Do not let me hear me hear me say that God is, is insufficient for us. But he designed us in his sovereign grace. The way he would provide his sufficiency, his grace would be sufficient for us, is through relationships with others. In his sovereign goodness, his grace is connecting us to others. He calls us as disciples who will follow him in a body, in a church, in a community, in a family. Now, for some, maybe that may mean this is the church eternal in the reading of his word and in hearing other people from a distance. But his design for us and his good provision for us is to be connected to others. So, if I need something or feel lacking in of myself, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. It's how I was designed. If, if I feel lonely, disconnected, doesn't mean that my faith is too small and I'm not loving God enough. It, it means this is the way God has designed me, to be in community with others. I was created for this community. Now, why would God design us this way? That seems like that's not good. That seems like this is, this, is, this is unfair or unloving or unkind. Now, remember, we were made in his image. We're made in his image, like him. Does this mean that God needs something, that he needed, needed us? That's why he created us. He needs us. He was lonely, so he created people to be in relationship with and he was by himself, and he's like, oh, I need you, and he's desperate for us? Not in any means. But we've been talking about God being the triune God here. That God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we are like him. He exists in a community, a loving relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, the Bible tells us the Lord our God is one, they're unified together. He is unified. And theologians use the term Trinity to describe the God, Father, Son, Spirit relationship. And he existed this way for all eternity. It means he was always Father. 
He was always son. He was always spirit. He didn't become a father. He didn't become a son. But they lived in a perfect, harmonious, loving relationship. This is why God can say, God is love. Because he always loved in all for all eternity. God is in a community, and so do we. We reflect God. We're designed to be in a community. Just as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, we are called to love one another. Just as we can see them submitting to one another, we talked a little bit about that last week, we can submit to one another. Just as they serve and elevate each other, we can elevate others as well. The son submits to the father throughout his time on earth. We see him using those phrases. Does that make him lesser? Does that make him unequal, inadequate? No. It does not diminish who he is. And likewise, we can submit to one another. The spirit will exalt Christ, elevate who Jesus is, glorify the name of Jesus. Does that make him lesser God? Likewise, we can promote others, encourage others, lift others up, and ultimately exalt Christ and does not take away from our humanity or dignity about who we are. Um, And the Trinity is a complex thing to understand. But I think if we are to understand God, to know God, I think it's been said here before, we need to understand who he is as Trinity. And Josh has recommended the book, and I'll put it up here again, The Lighting of the Trinity, Excellent book to even understand who he is and how that uh, relates to us. And so in this, we, you know, we see the Trinity existing in love, existing unified as one, as diverse. Right? There's, there's the Father, there's the Son, and the Spirit. They're, they're individual, they're different persons, different roles, different different things they're doing. We also can experience and understand the Trinity community when we are living unified with one another, when we're experiencing diversity of the body of Christ, the diversity of who God created. We're like a a giant puzzle. And a puzzle, if you put together a puzzle, it's beautiful and it's done, right? And if there's a piece missing, it's not complete. And looking at the piece individually might not seem like much, but when that one piece is missing, it's so super valuable, isn't it? And so we need, we need each other. We need to have diversity. We need to be unified. So God gave us the spirit to help us. He also gave us a church to help each other, to fight for each other, support each other, care for another, to reflect Christ and reflect the gospel to each other. But if we look at our church, we look at the church as a whole, look at our relationships, we can see we're often not unified. We're broken. We don't love each other well. We fight. And the church has even caused pain and shame for others. And how do we get there? Well, that's where Genesis, that's where Genesis 3 gives us... Um, Something, uh, some answers. So Genesis 3, 
Um, I'll start verse 4. Um, the serpent said to the woman, uh, he's talking about the fruit, said, you will not die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that, uh, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking, verse 8, in the garden in the cool day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said, Lord God said to the woman, What is that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. God tells Adam that if you eat this fruit, you will die. And the serpent says, You won't die. But when they eat the fruit, what happens? What happens when they eat this fruit? Physically, they're still alive, but their relationship quickly deteriorates. Their relationship is broken. Their relationship with each other, their relationship with God becomes broken. Before sin, they were naked and not ashamed. They're naked and not ashamed. Um, when you're naked... What is true? If you're sitting here naked, how would you feel? Now, I said this with some students, and they just start giggling just when I say the word naked, and that's all they need. You know, they feel embarrassed just by the word. Right? Um, we think about that, like that image or that thought of being naked means now we are fully exposed. There's, we cannot hide anything. People see everything that is there. And generally, we feel embarrassed by that. We we look at ourselves, we know ourselves, and we think, there's there's things wrong with me, or there's something over there that I don't want to see when someone else is not not good. But they were naked and not ashamed. They were naked, exposed for, for, for each other to see, and didn't feel any shame. But after they sin, the first thing they notice is their nakedness. And they felt shame. They had to cover themselves up as soon as they could. I don't know what it was. Maybe they noticed their differences and they became insecure. Maybe they noticed something that was like, well, this doesn't, I, this doesn't seem right. Next, they heard from God. They heard God's voice and they hid from him because they were afraid, because they were naked. So they were afraid. Ah, I'll be caught. He will know that I did something. I don't know. And then they blamed, right? They blame each other. Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent. And Adam even blames God, the woman you gave me. Which, uh, you know, I don't know how that works for many of you husbands. If you blame your wife, throw her under the bus. I don't think that usually works really well for relationships. 
Sin broke our relationship with one another, resulting in shame and blame. We hide from other, compare, to one, compare ourselves with each other, we fight with each other. Our friendships become severed, they often become shallow. We don't love as much as, uh, as we're designed to love. Now that we have seen our brokenness and we've seen our sin, what is our solution? Well, we see what they did. They made fig leaves, they hid, and they blame. They made fig leaves, they hid, and they blame. For us, what are our fig leaf solutions? Fig leaf solutions are, you know, solutions that can hide some aspects, maybe hide some of the shame, but doesn't remove the shame. Right? Solutions appear to help, but they offer, temp- or offer temporary relief, but they'll quickly fall apart. What are some ways that we may use fig leaf solutions? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple things that come to my mind. You know, we, we try to make ourselves look good. You know, this is kind of the Instagram or Facebook uh, disease, right? We, we will use filters. We use certain lighting, you know, to make ourselves look good in certain, in certain places. We always put the photos that uh, are appealing, that will make us feel better about ourselves and make us look good towards others, right? You know, it could be just that the clothes that we wear, designer clothes, nice things, maybe the things that we have in our house, our apartment, our car that we drive, we have nice things, good things. People will generally think well of us. I still remember my first Bible study leader said, yeah, but I haven't showered. I wear nice clothes. That way people don't think I'm the one that smells, right? You know, we, we hide. We hide these things. This also can be related in, in how we do our relationships. Our, our encounters with each other become superficial. Superficial encounters. We give just a little bit so people can know a little bit about us, but not the deep, intimate parts of us. We ask questions that uh, allow us to uh, feel a little known or know people a little bit, but not too much, not too deep, not too personal. And if I start to get a little personal, you know, see, like, I'm not crying, you're crying, right? I'm not going to let people see all the stuff that's within me. And it, it can become a self-righteousness. We hide, we clothe ourselves with our own self-righteousness, which may be, knowledge, reading more books, getting more knowledge of what the Bible says, taking these classes and feeling like, I know God. I'm doing these activities. I go to all the events, all the conferences. I, I, uh, I do all the service activities. Maybe I just post those things on social media so people think I'm a good person. These are fig leaves. Or maybe we, if we hide... You know, we escape. We try to escape the pain, the shame that we're experiencing. We do distractions. And maybe it is a TV show. Maybe it is watching a show or a movie that makes me feel something to get away. We, we love the reality shows. We love the dating shows, The Bachelor. We love just these shows that have relationships. It could just be a game that we play. I want to play something on my phone to distract myself from what I'm really feeling. Where it could be work. I'm going to work. If I, my, my intimate relationships aren't here, I'm not experiencing it. I'm not experiencing this meaning that I'm, I, I want from these relationships. I'll put myself into my work, into my activity to, to feel something, to feel significant, to feel valued because I'm not feeling it in my relationships with God or others. 
and think maybe by that we can experience some intimacy. We're longing for intimacy, and we often turn to false intimacies, which could be some of the things we mentioned. It could be the social media, feeling there's an intimate relationship with there, though I'm not really close to someone. It could move to pornography or sexual encounters, where I feel like I'm intimate, I'm seeing the nakedness, but there's no depth and no meaning to that. It's a false, counterfeit intimacy, not the one that we're really made for. And if those things don't work, well, I turn to blame. I'll blame others. When I can't do the things that I think I should be able to do, when I might not perform as well, that might cause some shame for me because I I mess up or the work isn't as good as I want to be, you know, I, I tend to blame others. And not who do I blame? I, I can blame my wife and my kids. If my kids just behaved a little better, if they weren't causing so much interruption during the day, I'd get more done. My wife just helped a little, bit, uh, a little bit more at the house. Or maybe it's my teammates or my coworkers. You know, there's so many things out there about group projects and how people hate the group projects. And we love to see those things like, ah, yes, I hate those group projects. Those other people in the group, they were so terrible. This one person just ruined it for the rest of us. I find someone to blame. It's my boss, my leaders, my coworkers, my friends, my family. That can lead to other things. It can lead to people being bullies. When I was young, I was small, I was brown, and so I wasn't, you know, necessarily held to higher and quiet. So people would bully me. And uh, some physically, some more through, uh, through their, through their uh, words. But there was a place, there was a circle where, amongst my other Indian friends, we gathered together, where I was one of the older kids and a little bit more popular, and I wanted to keep that. And what was the way I could do that? We excluded this youngest kid, and we pushed him out. See, I didn't want to be on the bottom, and so I kept him out. Even though I was friends with him other places in this group, Push them away. We see this with racism. John Perkins in his, in his book, Dream With Me, talks about how the poor white people and the black people should have been friends. They had so much in common. They were fighting the common enemy. They were going through the same things. And yet, the people in power realized that no one wanted to be at the bottom. And so the way for them to, to elevate themselves was to push the black people down. We become bullies. We wind up uh, fighting others. Uh-oh, my computer just went dead. Um, hang on one second. So, okay, so my, my computer went dead. So hopefully this, the PowerPoint has something here for me. What we see with Adam, Adam and Eve was there was shame, led to hiding, led to blame, led to, led to pain, and to death. In Genesis 4, Cain and Abel will see a similar thing. Um, you go to the next slide. Oh, okay. Um, which is a comparison that leads to jealousy, leads to bitterness, leads to hate, leads to murder, to death. All right. Excuse me one second.
So these are our solutions. What's God's solution? He sees them. What does God do for us? Well, um, God seeks them. God confronts their sin. He disciplines them and he clothes them and he makes a promise for them. He seeks them out. I don't think he was uh, unaware of what happened, right? He was not surprised when, oh, who told you you're naked? No, he went, he went after them. He knew what happened and came looking for them right away. He confronts them in a gentle way. He does discipline them, and he does, um, he, he, he does give them discipline and, and does things to protect them and puts them out of the garden. But he also will clothe them. In verse 21, chapter 3, says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his life garments of skin and clothed them. You know, in order for that to happen, to clothe them with skins, that means an animal must have died. This was a foreshadowing, I believe, of the fulfillment of the promises in Genesis 3.15. And that's up here. And he's telling, when he's speaking to uh, the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you, sh- you shall bruise his heel. The offspring of Eve would be Jesus. Jesus, his heel will be bruised, but Satan will be crushed. God makes coverings for Adam and Eve of skins. He covers us with his own blood. The blood of Jesus covers us with his righteousness. Instead of hiding from others, pretending we're strong enough and don't need anyone, and running from God, we need to, we need to run to Jesus, embrace him, allow him to cover our sin. We need to acknowledge our needs and embrace community and expose our sin and shame and allow, allow someone to love us in our problems. Right? So instead of hiding, pretending, and running from God, we need to run to Jesus, allow him to cover our sin, that acknowledge our needs and embrace community and expose our sin and shame so that we can experience love of God through community. The good news of the gospel is, um, is not always our relationship with God restored, but also our relationship with each other. We are brought into the family of God. We are made a people who will live together for eternity. We all long for this. Every good TV show or movie, it's about the relationships, the communities that are there. You may say it's about the drama and the action, but what really draws you to these things is the relationships that last, that you see that are going are to be connected and loved and accepted. We long for this. You know, it may have been the happily ever after story of the, of the people falling in love, but more so we're seeing it's not just that, that marriage, it's a relationship we long for community because we're designed for it. And we're designed to be with God. There are some out there who have walked away from God and say, I, I just have my community. And a lot of people, like, they don't have the same type of community outside of the church after they walk away and say, I miss that community. But we also need, we, we need that community, we also need to be in relationship 
with God. He created us not just for that community, but to be in a relationship with him, to enjoy him and to exalt him. And it's, it's through knowing him that we can love others. It's through others we can know him. But a life apart from God is no life at all. So in order to experience the community that we long for, the, the ability to have these relationships that we're loved and accepted, we must first know that we're loved and accepted by God. That we are completely forgiven. That we are accepted. We are valued. We're loved. That he delights in us. And so we must come to Jesus and accept his gift, his death on the cross to pay for our sin, to cover us, to heal our wounds and fix what is broken. We do this by faith. And we do this when we experience him and trust him. We experience love. We experience a love that is so powerful that it transforms us. A love that is so powerful that it allows us to love others a love when we feel unloved that we can expose ourselves because we know we're loved by God. We're accepted by him. I can expose my sin to others. I can expose my weakness to others. And I can, I can love others the way God has loved me. And First uh, John, do we have that up here? We'll go to the next one. Um, we come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides, abides in love abides in God. And God abides with him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. And I go down. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Nor fear has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. There is no longer any fear. Perfect love has cast out the fear of shame and guilt. It has cast out the condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus his love covers a multitude of sin. And so now I no longer need to live in shame. I can embrace God's love and I can embrace myself because I'm accepted by him. I can acknowledge my weakness. All my insecurities replaced with hope and joy and grace. Imagine a life with no shame. A life where you know you're, where you're known and still loved. Often said, when people get to know me, they don't like me anymore. But God knows everything about me and still loves me and accepts me. And now we are called to do the same. So we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not, he does not love his brother whom he is, cannot see, uh, who he has seen, cannot love God whom he has seen, has not seen. This is the command we have for him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. My life was changed when I was able to open up to others and I was able to share about the struggles in my life, the things that were difficult, my things that I was embarrassed about, the things I felt insecure about. And as I opened myself up to others, I experienced the love of Christ. I experienced that God really does care for me. God does know me. and He wants to be there for me. And he helps me. I can know the truths of the Bible and that is the, that is the bedrock and the foundation of my faith the experience of love comes through our community. And we allow people to experience Christ and know Christ as we love others, as we accept others, as we forgive others, as we rely on God's love and believe God's love for us and know God's love for us. We believe this. It allows us to love others who, are, who feel unlovable. It allows us to love others when we feel unlovable. 
It allows us to love others who are so different from us that we don't understand them, but we can pursue them. It allows us to love others who are so like us that they drive us crazy. We can love because we have the love of God living in us. Yeah, and I think just in closing that um, Jesus says, we are known as his disciples by our love for one another. And when, if we're not living this out, this is what Paul says is the carnal church, the ones who are divided. So if we're not living this out, as we struggle, when we are struggling with this, this love for each other, what do we need? Just try harder? No, we need to run to Jesus, embrace his love for us, experience his love for us, Allow, allow to understand what he has done for us so that we can have his love in us so we can love others well. We'll be known as disciples by our love for each other. When we love, we reflect who God is. When we're unified, we reflect the beauty of God. When, we in community, when we're in community that God designed us for, we experience the life that God designed us to be in. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, We thank you for your great love for us that was shown in the cross of Jesus. That you gave yourself for us that we can be with you forever. And we can be in a community, not just uh, in the cloud with you or our own little planet, but in a community of believers, the family of God, that you bring us into a family. That we can experience love, your love through one another here on this earth and um, through each other. And we ask that you would remind us and that you would fill us with your love, that we know the width and length, the height, the depth of your love, and that we'd be able to give this love out to others, that we'd pursue unity, that we'd pursue relationship, deep relationship, that we would be open, authentic, vulnerable with others. Allow them to see what is going on, your word says, when we confess our sins to one another, you'll experience healing. So move us into greater community, to greater love. Move us um, towards one another and towards you. Be with us as we move into a time of worship. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of your goodness. You are sufficient for everything. But in your grace, you have given us each other that we can, we can enjoy one another and worship together. Be glorified in us and through us. In the name of Jesus, I pray.